Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Hey now, it's the Hancock and Kelly Show on Friday. Good morning, Good John morning. Hancock. What the heck was that? That's the Beatles, brother. That's, what are they singing? Good morning. Is that the name of the song? Good morning. I've never heard of it. Before. Good morning. You've never heard "Good Morning" Obviously, by the Beatles? No, it must not have been a big seller back in the day. What are you talking about? It's the Beatles, dude. I know it's the Beatles, but I've never heard this song. Before. Really? I've never heard this song until now. James O'Sullivan has illu- illu- illuminated, I can't talk, the Good Morning song by the Beatles. How was your morning? Was it good? It was good until I got in the car. What happened in the car? Well, first of all, somehow I've drawn the short straw. My car sits in the driveway all night because mm. we've got a two-car garage, and my car is the odd man out. So... You get in there, and it's a little frosty out there this morning. Okay. The windows kind of had Oh, really? Stuff. Yes. Some and precipitation. It, well, well, it wasn't you know, frost. It was, it was 50-something degrees. It was cold. Yeah, but that's not frost, dude. So I turn I'll on the frog. I get to you, and I turn the car. You have to wait for the, you know, put the thing on and, and start driving. And, of course, I'm driving east on 40. Yeah. Into the sun. The, directly in my eyes. Yeah. And I can't get the windshields clean. I'm pulling. I've got the wiper going. I put the juice on it, you know, and I can't. It's Are you blowing the, uh, the, the, the defrost? Finally, I yeah. finally blew mm-hmm. that. And then uh, so I get on there, and I got a little bit of a late start this morning because yeah. uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan is playing in the semifinals of the Shanghai Open. Oh, who would miss it? Who I would wouldn't miss it. miss it. No, it's, of course uh, not. It's a snooker uh, match. Yeah, it's, uh-huh. his, it's his first tournament of the season. Nobody cares. Keep All going. Right. All right. So I'm heading eastward on Highway 40. Mm-hmm. Sun in my eyes, yeah. windshield street, mm-hmm. traffic slow. Oh, boy. And I come up, I roll up on 270 there. There's, they're doing some construction right there. Uh, who knew? Yeah, I did. And the left lane is shut down. I listen to Roger Brand. Who knew? Well, I... So... <laughs> <laughs> then, so I navigate through that. Right. And now the window's starting to clear up a little Okay, bit. all right. So that's good. But I'm just slow. Uh-huh. And the sun is right in my eye. I got the visors down. I got my Maui gyms on. Ooh, yeah. fancy! I, well, I, they, hey. they do the best with the UV stuff. Okay. And uh, and then so yeah, I think okay. Once this little thing, what are they doing over there anyway? It looks like they're building a new. Didn't we just rebuild the thing like ten years ago? Yeah, I don't know. When I went by it yesterday, it looks like they're uh, fixing the merge from two seventy and forty there. And, well, they picked and, a fine time to fix the merge. When and, do you want them to do it? Uh, at night, when yeah. the sun's not in your eyes. Okay, all right. Uh, so where was I? Oh, so I'm the, so I'm driving there. I'm uh-huh. in what is now the left lane, which is really the center lane. Okay, I look. Over the hill, uh-huh. uh, which is hard to do with the sun in your eyes. Right. And there it was, uh-huh. the flashing lights. There's an accident in the right lane. Uh-huh. Right there at Ballast getting on, and everybody's everywhere, and uh, and nobody's moving. Wow. I start to panic, Michael. Yeah. I thought, there may be a chance I won't make it in here this morning. But yeah. well, then you called me. I did call you, and and I talked I you off you the ledge. Very precise instructions of so, how to put the show together. I have a suggestion for you. Yes. So you get up in the morning yeah. on a Friday. Mm-hmm. You first thing you do is you go down and you, you 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 hit the button and and start your coffee. I did that. Okay. Then you go up, get your shower together. I did that. All right. Now you're dried off. You're putting your clothes on. Yeah. 
You go to KMOX.com. Well, I had the snooker match was on. It, I was, uh, and you listen for the host of the show, most likely Debbie Monterey, to say, Good morning, St. Louis. Now we'll go to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line where we're joined by... No, he's not on no. the Quiver River. He's where's he? At? He's on the overhead oh. door company. Oh, we go to the Louis overhead door. Best newscast in the country. The KMOX Newsroom, national winner of the Edward R. Murrow Award for Best Newscast in America. Dude, we're living in the good old days. Are we now? Yeah, uh, shoes. What? Yeah, shoes. Men's shoes. I can't really speak to women's shoes because women's shoes, well, I've never worn them. You've never worn women's shoes? No, I've never worn women's shoes, but, like, we're living in the good old days of shoes. Uh, You know, one, it's acceptable to kind of wear tennis shoes right now with, you know, uh, work attire, you know. Yeah, well, I don't know that you do a suit. But, yeah, if you watch the sports guys on TV and stuff, they're wearing good to tennis shoes. Mm -hmm. And but, But shoes are as comfortable as they've ever, ever been. I, I I just got a brand new pair of shoes. Yeah, I love these things. I feel you like I'm walking on a cloud. Walking on a cloud with these yeah. new shoes. Yes. What are they? Uh, Air Jordans? No. Uh, they're on whatever that is. O N. I'm normally a New Balance guy. The name of the shoe is on. O N. Yeah. Huh. But it's got to. But anyway, I didn't mean to take us off on a rant. Other than it's just like the best time in the world to be uh, well, you know wearing what they shoes. Say. If your feet are happy, the your whole thing's happy. Did the Hancocks grow up wearing shoes? Did they? That when when did that come to your family? We, we in had the, shoes in the fifties. They, uh, they were my brother's shoes. Yeah, and uh, which was fine, except uh, my foot's a size bigger than his. Ooh, but um, but that didn't that didn't really matter until about I was until I was about seven. You know, one of the things they do when you go to jail is they take away your laces from you, and that could potentially be happening to Hunter Biden. Yesterday, John Hancock, he was indicted by the special counsel. On charges related to uh, gun, uh, falsifying documents as it related to the purchase of a gun. Yep. Uh, This isn't the smoking gun that we've heard from the Republicans is going to come, that this is all tied to Joe Biden and the man that they say is senile and old and doesn't know where he is at, is running this giant crime conspiracy, Uh, blah, blah, blah. Looks like Hunter Biden's a dirtball. He's going to probably wind up in jail. Uh, and none of this really has anything to do with Joe Biden, does it? Well, the gun charge certainly doesn't. Uh, you know, the the tax evasion case, and I think they're now that they're not bound to the Delaware area, uh, they can look at his tax evasion beyond Delaware, and I think there are more years than the two that were in the original indictment. I think that will be coming down. But the real question here, and, and the reason the Republicans are opening up an impeachment inquiry, is to determine whether or not Joe Biden was taking official actions in his uh, office of either vice president or U.S. Senate in a, in a way that would benefit Hunter Biden's businesses. Yeah, and uh, Hunter Biden uh, now faces these federal charges. It's likely he will see um, the inside of a courtroom for sure, and uh, we'll be serious. We'll be interested to see if he winds up pleading. I don't know that there can be a plea agreement here. There's so much attention being put on this. You know, the one thing I find really interesting about this is the narrative on my for my team, mm-hmm. the Republican narrative, is that the Justice Department is politicized, and they're going after this political indictment of Donald Trump, and they were going to go after this political slap on the wrist of Hunter Biden. And that had been a developing, emerging narrative that you've heard from the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gateses of the world. Right. 
And now that the government, the Justice Department, is seemingly going after Hunter Biden, I wonder if that changes uh, the effectiveness of that argument that all of this is political. Oh, who knows? I, I mean, the, the, the Republican Party, from my perspective, John, particularly in the United States House, has lost its mind which is where we're going to go to next. And they've opened up an impeachment inquiry, something the Speaker of the House was really kind of combating for a while, but it got pressure from Matt Gates, the Marjorie Taylor Greene yeah. thing, that they opened this inquiry. Uh, in the past, when these inquiries went down with Nancy Pelosi, it was really he, Speaker McCarthy, said, hey, we need a full vote of the Congress on whether or not we should do this. He did. Nancy Pelosi didn't have to do that. Of course, she did. He's taking the exact opposite tact here. He's opening this inquiry, um, and this with a looming government shutdown. I'm trying to understand exactly what the House GOP's endgame is here. Number one, they want to impeach the current president. Number two, they'd like to throw out the current Speaker of the House. And number three, they want to shut down the government. And by the way, in the last three decades, every time the government has shut down, it's been when the House has been controlled by the Republicans, and it hurts them politically. Well, it has historically, although the last time it was the Senate, Ted Cruz, back in 2013, the last government shut down, and that was bad politics there for a while. But by the time we got to the 2014 election cycle, it was a great year for Republicans. So, you know, the, the political fallout of doing this in an odd-numbered year is probably less so than if this were happening, say, a month before an election. Uh, however, I, I think so. There's a, there's three basic factions in the house you've got house members the conservative folks that you know want to legislate and do and i don't know how how many that is in relation to the overall majority then you've got the conservative the freedom caucus that's a substantial number of republicans over 20 maybe 30 that are in that caucus and that's they're the a, ones who held up the speaker vote etc right. kind of heck and they're the quarterbacks by matt gates that group of 30 ish are the yeah. ones really driving the impeachment thing and then you got the wacko caucus which is just a handful of the marjorie taylors and the lauren boberts and the matt gates mm -hmm. uh but they've got a sufficient number in and of themselves that they can kind of gum up the works so McCarthy's got to do a couple of things. If he doesn't want to shut the government down, which which could do real damage to our credit rating, which has already been downgraded mm -hmm. in the last six months, and if so, if he wants to get that, he's got to be able to put the votes together. And whether the Democrats will be willing to play ball and help him get there to two eighteen is remains to be seen. So he's trying, I think, to placate his Freedom Caucus members to get. The most of them on board with it, probably a continuing resolution. They're, they're not going to pass these appropriations bills by the end of the month. There's no way. They can't agree on what day it is. Well, and they, they just procedurally, there's too many amendments. There's just no way that's going to happen. So it's going to have to be a continuing resolution of some duration. Kick the can down the road. To, right, to keep the government open for some period of time. Uh He's got to he's got to placate that thirty group of Freedom Caucus members. He's not going to get Matt Gates and Kevin McCarthy are in open warfare right now <laughs> uh, over uh, ostensibly an ethics charge against Gates. It's pending in the House Ethics Committee, and Gates would like McCarthy to make that go away. McCarthy's not doing that, so uh, it's a delicate tightrope, and he's kind of throwing out the the impeachment uh, investigation as you know a bone to get them to vote to keep the government open. 
Uh, I hate to see impeachment politicized like this. Look, if there's evidence that Joe Biden was going around and firing firing people so that Hunter could get paid by Burisma, I mean, if there's evidence of that, then I'm then that is impeachment. Bring it forward. Yes. I, that's So that's where I am on that one. All right. So do you think Speaker McCarthy makes it to the election? I mean, Matt yeah. Gates essentially stood up on the floor the other day. Uh, he, it, We all know that Speaker McCarthy sold his soul to get the votes to be able to uh, do this. Right. He, he allowed the motion to reconsider. I think that was the word, the phrase that uh, – or vacate. A yeah, motion to vacate. To vacate. Yeah, one member could file. One mo- yeah. member. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's been threatening it. it uh, surely there's an appetite by the cuckoo caucus, maybe even the conservative caucus. I mean, I don't know. Y'all are, uh, you, you, like the colors of the rainbow over there with all your different caucuses. So what, 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 what's going to happen? Does he make it to oh, the yeah. election? Yeah, he makes it. So the, 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 the smaller group, they can effectually shut down legislation and the freedom caucus can certainly shut down legislation. They don't have enough votes within the Republican conference to kick out McCarthy. McCarthy's got a majority of the members that will support him. So whatever they may say and try and do about Kevin McCarthy, I don't think he's going anywhere. Both parties, for the first time in my lifetime, are courting working Americans, particularly blue-collar Americans and organized labor. Uh, We saw the efforts as it related to the Teamsters against UPS. We heard both positive from both Democrats and Republicans in support of the Teamsters at UPS. Now the auto workers are taking on the big three. Same things coming out. We're seeing a bunch of uh, Republicans and essentially Democrats stand up. At the same time, the auto workers are kind of attacking Joe Biden. Obviously, the president of the United States can play an outsized role compared to everyone else and may still wind up doing that. Did you ever think there'd be a day where labor was the top prize that everybody's out chasing? Well, and, you know, not exclusively, but largely, I think Donald Trump has been a factor in bringing a lot of those labor. I'm, I'm thinking about this, the trades, the skilled labor, uh, into the GOP fold. He certainly did that. It really can trace its origins back to even Ronald Reagan, where you started to see a fissure, uh, small, uh, in, in organized labor votes. But this thing is going to be interesting. I have a question for you because I'm not— Right, right. You right. are an expert on I don't labor. know about that, but I know so some stuff. So th- they're— they're holding out. They want a 40% uh, pay increase. Uh, they want to change the work week down to 32 hours, right. right? How much of this is posturing? And don't do these things usually end up somewhere in the middle? Of course. Okay. All of it's posturing. Right. I can't imagine they're going to go to a 32-hour right. work week. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I couldn't imagine the fact that they would make the you know wages stay flat for ten years. So that has when been they the were case. taking yeah, the wages have been flat for ten years. Mm. At the same time, they've been taking jobs to other countries, including Mexico. Uh, you know, organized labor has stood down, uh, et cetera. And now we find ourselves in a situation where the taxpayers have bailed them out, record profits, CEO going paid going through the roof. Ten and seconds. Workers just fed up. Ten seconds. It does get resolved quickly. Yes. All right. By the end of the month. By the end of September. I believe so. So the folks at Winsville might be going back out to work I hope by so. the end of the month. He's Michael Kelly. I'm John Hancock. Are the Democrats trying to get rid of Joe Biden? We're going to talk about that after the news right here on KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX.
Well, good morning, people of St. Louis and surrounding metropolitan area. It is the Hancock and Kelly Show. We're grateful that you've joined us we here are. on KMOX. We'll take you all the way up to, what, 10 o'clock? We uh, will. We'll join uh, Chris Ranji, who's flying solo, because guess what? Oh, Amy's out of time again. <laughs> oh, imagine that. <laughs> Whew, Amy and Michael Kelly have switched uh, places. No, hey, no, you, you still, you're uh, still the undisputed heavyweight right. champion. Let's do want to remind you that on Sunday mornings, you can see Hancock and Kelly, the television show on Fox 2, right here in St. Louis. Uh, Channel 2, 8.30, Fox 2, Hancock and Kelly, the television show. Essentially this same program, except you get to look at our big, ugly mugs. Well, and Andy Banker's in in between us. Well, he's handsome, so he's the one who brings it along for us. And, uh, John, this was interesting news for me. You may have heard Mitt Romney had to say this. I just don't think that we need another person in their 80s. Uh, I'm a little long of tooth already. We don't need more like me. But I do think that, that the times we're living in really demand the next generation to step up and, uh, and express their point of view and to make the decisions that will shape our American politics over the coming century. And just having a bunch of guys who were around, the baby boomers, who were around in the post-war era, we're not the right ones to be making the decisions for tomorrow. Well, there's some rational thought coming from a pretty rational guy, Mitt Romney. Uh, he's a guy that, John, I spent two years of my life working against. You worked for him. I did work for him. Uh, I, at one time in my life, thought he could have been the worst uh, you know, thing that could ever happen to our country, and now I look at him as a person who's full of common sense. Funny how that works. And he's exuding that right now, isn't he? Well, I think uh, I think it's a very valid point. I mean, how much, how much, how many minutes on KMOX Air has been taken up with uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump and uh, the senator from uh, Feinstein from California, right. Chuck Grassley in his 90s, Mitch yeah. McConnell. Uh, and I think he's making a point that a lot of us have come to believe that, the, you know, we've got a lot of octogenarians serving in very senior positions in our government. And, you know, is that a is that something that we should value or something we should move on from? It's almost like uh, the United States Senate, and some people argue the White House is like Weekend at Bernie's. Everybody's half out of it and just playing their roles, Uh, which leads me to a question. You saw Mitt Romney do this, and we're not going to play the whole five or six minutes, but he spent a lot of time, John, really attacking uh, the former president, uh, over a lot of what happened during his administration and, of course, January 6th, and the current president saying he didn't appreciate his policies and he also thinks he's too old. What was interesting to me is that is a narrative that it plays well with the American people. So many people are lamenting the fact that everybody's getting older. So many people are really lamenting the fact that we're going to live through the 2020 election. Here's my thought. Here's my question to you. Is this a larger play? Is this a bipartisan play that's going to emerge, which is essentially no Biden, no Trump. We want different choices for 2024. That sure seemed to be the message I was hearing from Mitch McConnell. I think it's the message that a lot of people uh, believe they're hearing from Joe Manchin and, uh, you know, left of center Democrats who uh, who may be frustrated with the president's current situation. Well, I think the two parties are in fundamentally different places. Mitt Romney, while a majority of Americans may kind of share those thoughts that he has, a majority of Republican voters do not. And I think I don't think Mitt Romney could have survived a Republican primary for the Utah Senate seat, and he probably realizes that. And, uh, you know, so 
I'll take him at his word, but I do think there's a political calculus here, too, is that he realizes it's over. And so rather than kind of force the issue like Liz Cheney did and put his name on the ballot and get beaten, uh, he's going to step aside. And he's using that opportunity to point to the fact that we really do need a new generation of leadership. And I think he's right about that generally. But the Republicans, while some may have a desire to move on from Donald Trump, it's clear if you look at the polling data that in spite of four indictments and 91 criminal counts, the a majority, not just a plurality, but a majority of Republican primary and caucus voters prefer Donald Trump over any alternative that's out there. Okay, before we pivot to Joe Biden, because he's the other half of the story right. here, we're talking about uh, Donald Trump. This has been couple, four, almost six years of what I would consider to be traditional Republicans who are going to spend time with the family, uh, not run. And I or, think or getting beaten. Yeah. Ultimately, I think they're going to have troubles in primaries. You're a traditional Republican. You're a man of conservative values, yeah. a man of Christian faith. Yeah. Does that make you nervous to sit and watch that the face of the party is now emerging to be Ted Cruz in the Senate and Josh Hawley in the Senate? And in the House, Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene? Well, parties change. Uh, they evolve or devolve, depending on one's perspective. And, you know, ultimately, it's the, it's the people that make up the electorate that determine what the party is. And, you know, there was a time where the Republicans, there, we had a lot of liberal Republicans thinking about the Rockefeller family, for example. They're extinct. They're gone. And, and the party changed. And that change really was Ronald Reagan that moved the party, and it kind of predates him to Barry Goldwater's failed candidacy in 1964. But Ronald Reagan fundamentally changed what the Republican was. I'm a Reagan Republican. Uh, the party is no longer that. It just isn't, and we could we could try and sell okay. candidates of that ilk, but the voters voters ultimately are going to determine, and the voters of the Republican Party, the uh, majority of them are anti-establishment. They are populist in their politics. They're nationalistic. They're increasingly isolationistic in foreign policy, and that just is what it is. It's not the party I joined, yeah. but it's the party that is. Well, you're most closely associated. I'm in the same way. There used to be pro-life Democrats. They don't exist anymore. No. So much has changed inside the Democratic Party, and that takes us to Joe Biden. Yep. It's obvious this isn't the same man that we saw two years ago. I spent a year of my life working to help elect Joe Biden. I thought he was a common-sense centrist Democrat. I think he's done an effective job leading the country, surely pushing forward left-of-center policies, uh, but it's not the same man that's there. Um, and I'm nervous as we go into this 2024 election that if Joe Biden continues at the same trajectory he's been on for the last two years, a man who whose record deserves reelection is going to get defeated from my perspective simply because he's not an individual that that seems to be there or, or, or capable of doing the job. Right. And, and I think increasingly we, we're all seeing it. And, uh, you know, it's sad and it's hard to watch, but it uh, it's unfolding before our eyes. Here's what I find interesting. I think, and I'm just an observer, I have no inside knowledge of right. the inner workings of the Democratic Party, but earlier this week, I think it was the New York Times editorial came out and basically made the case that we need to move on from Joe Biden. We, Democrats, need uh -huh. to move on from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And that uh, that's a recipe for potential disaster. Now you're beginning to see the CNNs and the MSNBCs beginning to make that argument. Uh, and it feels to me like maybe 
there's some string pullers behind the scenes that are beginning the process of changing this dynamic and moving Joe Biden aside for 2024 so that they can inject a candidate that's more electable. And um, I don't know if they can pull it off because I think Joe Biden is very determined to do this. I'm a little surprised that Jill Biden is letting him go through this, what's got to be on some level publicly humbling at, at the least. Um, but I feel like there's a coordinated effort going on. There may very well be. I'm not informed on it. Uh, in fact, I was at a meeting recently yeah. where, you know, I was assured, I mean, the campaign manager, et cetera, he's the candidate and it was all about raising the money, et cetera. But it's, it's just no longer something we can look the other way on. I just, uh, you know, we had Dick Gephardt on last uh-huh. week and he said, hey, look, I'm in good health, but I'm 80 years old. Essentially saying the same thing that Mitt Romney that Mitt yeah. saying. And now we're starting to see that chink in the armor. Maybe there is this magic hand inside the Democratic Party. I think I know whose hand that would be. I can think of only one Democrat who really can talk to all aspects of our party, and that's the former president, Barack Obama. I'm not saying he's doing it. But most of his people, John, both campaign and administrative folks, are still involved in this Biden administration. Yeah, I I think there's a lot I think there's a lot of history to unfold between now and January 1. And you guys, you know, if you're going to make a sh- a change here, you need to do it sooner rather than later uh, because and once the people start voting, you, you know, that's a fait accompli at that. But point. if Donald Trump gets seated as the permanent nominee for the Republicans, that puts the Democrats in maybe in a better spot because he's got some well, drawbacks. There's no question about that. I mean, Donald Trump is not a good general election candidate. And if you love Donald Trump, if you think Donald Trump is the greatest president that the United States has ever produced, what is inarguable is that at this point, he's not a very good general election candidate, but he is a very good primary candidate, and he will be the nominee, I think. Not so sure on Biden. All right, let's step aside. We'll come back. We're going to talk about, hey, can you go to any school district you want? Now you can in the state of Missouri. Right. We'll talk about it after this. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly Show. A happy Friday to you. And obviously one of the biggest topics in the state of Missouri is education. So many kids in our school, the state are only going to school four days a week. So many school districts find themselves unaccredited. Somebody out there has a solution. It may be a bit controversial, but it's going to be considered in the upcoming session. Yeah, it was considered in the last session. Uh, didn't quite get over the finish line and uh, had a lot of Opposition internally within the Republican Party. The sponsor of this bill is called Open Enrollment. A lot of other states have gone to this system and essentially will allow uh, parents to send their children to any public school they desire so long as the public school is willing to accept students. The sponsor of that legislation, uh, when the legislature reconvenes in January, is the state representative from District 52 in the great city of Sedalia, Missouri, one of my favorite cities. State Representative Brad Pollitt joins us. Representative Pollitt, welcome to KMOX in St. Louis. Well, glad to be with you. So your bill, as I understand it, uh, would open up uh, all public schools. Should they be willing to accept students to any student that's able to get there. Is that is that basically how it works? Well, basically, but there are a lot of caveats in the bill. It's an opt-in program where if you want to opt-in to take students and your district decides to do that, then your district would determine what students they'd take as far as grade levels, um, 
what buildings they could go in and um, what programs that they have established would have room to take kids in. So it's an opt-in program. The local district that opt in, they have all of the um, control over the bill. There's a 3% um, limit on how many students a school district can lose in one year. So if you don't opt in to participate, you don't have to take students, but that does not leave, that does not um, keep students from leaving your district if they want to go to a different district. So, but only 3% of the students in any one district could leave in yeah. any given year. Yeah, correct. And, you know, if you look at DESE statistics on mobility, I think there's two districts in the state of Missouri that have 3% or less mobility. There's a lot of districts in the state that have 20% mobility. So 3% is pretty tight. The average, there's 45 states that have some form of open enrollment. The average in the Midwest is about 6 to, it is really from 3 to 8% um, of parents that choose that route. Uh, Congress, our representative, uh, obviously this would have huge impact in the urban areas where school districts literally can be right across the street from each other. You're from Sedalia. Uh, what inspired you to get involved with this? Well, you know, I think it's a bill that actually helps to save um, public education. Some of the naysayers believe that my goal is to um, consolidate school districts in rural Missouri. That's it couldn't be anything further from the truth. I've had more parents contact me wanting to put their students in a rural district than they have in an urban district. Um, I just want to give parents a choice within the public school system. There's a lot of other choices out there. There's private schools. There's um, Christian schools. Um, there's some ESA out there for students that are special ed and, and, and fit into a, um economic um, level. So I just wanted to say, hey, let's give parents a choice within the public school system. It'll keep kids in the public school system being taught by public school teachers that pay into the public school retirement system. Okay, so if I were in, for instance, let's say the Hazelwood School District and I wanted to go to the Ladue School District, does the money that's allocated for me as an individual, should the Ladue School District accept me, um, does the money from the Hazelwood School District follow me to the Ladue School District or does it stay put in the Hazelwood School District? Well, the local effort stays put in the Hazelwood School District. The state money would follow the students that open enrolled. Yeah, and that formula is different for every school district in terms of how much of it is financed by local property taxes versus the state school foundation formula. Every district's different. Are, are there any carve-outs for districts that are failed, uh, have failed to have accreditation? Uh, are they, well, there, are they at greater one. risk for this? Well, um, there's one carve-out for the Hickman Mills District. They've been provisionally accredited. They passed the levy two years ago, I believe, to increase teacher pay. I believe they have the highest teacher pay in the Kansas City area now. They're working toward becoming accredited. The bill as it stands now has a two-year carve-out for them. I'm not sure it's going to have that carve-out when I refile the bill um, in December. There, is, um, there will be something in the bill unless it gets taken out in the Senate that basically says that it's called a, a mitigation plan where if your district is segregated or you believe open enrollment could cause your district to be segregated, then you can file a mitigation plan with the, with the department. And if they approve your plan, then that would keep students from leaving your school district. There's only a handful of districts that would probably um, qualify under that. So 45 states you referenced have some form of this open enrollment. I would imagine 
that before being enacted in those states, there were a lot of people saying that, you know, the sky's falling, this is going to be horrible. What has been the practical effect of open enrollment in the states that have experienced it so far? Well, the practical effect is they still have public education. And, and were there some districts that may have consolidated? I'm not going to say that that didn't happen. I will tell you that I would much rather have the decision on what your district looks like in the hands of the patrons that live in that district instead of someday folks sitting in seats like I sit in Jefferson City making decisions on a district that they may think needs to close. I would rather that the patrons that live in that district says, hey, we're happy here. We're going to stay here. And and their district really doesn't lose any students. And I think there'll be a lot of districts around there that, that um, in the state that that'll happen with. Representative, you made reference uh, when you were answering an earlier question. There's other options, too, including uh, Catholic schools, Christian schools, non-denominational schools. Obviously, this only deals with public schools. Do you see this as a step forward to eventually allowing school choice so that people can take their dollars to private institutions? Um, that's not the intent at all, and some people believe that. Some, some folks believe that you cannot give an inch because, in the end, someone's going to take a mile. Um, that's not my intention. My intention is to say, hey, you know, our second, budget, our second highest budget expenditure for general revenue is K-12 education. DESE announced um, a couple days ago that in the next two years, to fully fund the foundation formula, it's going to cost another $400 million additional dollars to fully fund it over the next two years. And, um, you know, I would just like to give parents a choice within the public school system. You know, it, it, it may, there may be a number of parents want to use it. Um, it may not reach 3%. You know, I think it'll reach 3%, but I don't think there's 10% of the students in this state that want to go to a different public school. He is State Representative Brad Pollitt from Sedalia, Missouri. He joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Follows a line of great state legislators from that great city, Todd Smith, Matt Boatwright, Stanley Cox, and now uh, Brad Pollitt there, the home of the State Fair, the home of the Scott Joplin Ragtime Festival, Sedalia, Missouri. If you haven't been there, check it out. Brad, thanks so much for joining us here on The Voice of St. Louis. Well, I'm, I'm looking, thank you for having me, and I'm looking forward to um, refiling the bill and you know, anybody that has any questions can call my office. I don't have the number right offhand. They can get it off of the website, and I'll be more than happy to call them back and um, answer their questions. All right. Enjoy your fall, sir. And when we come back, Michael, after the news, I had an experience at the grocery store. Oh, boy. Can't wait to tell you about it after this. Hi, I'm Paul Goldschmidt. Hi, I'm Miles Michaelis. I'm Adam Wainwright, and you're listening to the Voice of the Cardinals, KMOX. Get ready for the Cards and Phillies tonight. Hamlin Total Access 620. First pitch 715. KMOX is Cardinals Radio. I think the most interesting thing to me is that anyone who's listened to this show over the, what, 15, 16 years we've been here at KMOX, they know that Georgian does everything inside the Hancock house. Well, not everything. Well, I was shocked to hear you do the grocery shopping. I do. Well, I did uh, until she watched that blue. That's another story for another day. But, yes, I'm I'm the grocery shopper. That's crazy. I'm also the dish cleaner. Uh, they clean up the kitchen after dinner, personally. Oh, sure. And, well, you know, the coffee guy. And the coffee but, guy. But you've got an interesting grocery store. So the fact at, that you are in charge of purchasing the food for the Hancock family I is do. just mind-blowing because I, Because I am uniquely gifted, Michael. Oh, clearly. Uh, at, at, You're unique. At, at identifying meal combinations. Ooh. And putting them together, as I I don't make a list. 
Don't know why I they call this them, hamburger helper. I put them together as I, I start off in the produce department there. I'm thinking breakfast. I'm thinking oranges. I'm thinking vegetables for oh, dinner. Yeah. I'm pulling out the veg, And then you've got to pair them with the proper meat. And and then of course you got to get the lunch meat for the lunches, and then you know the, all of it. And you got to decide whether it's going to be the fresh cut green beans or the frozen French style green beans, which are preferred by many people. Oh interestingly enough, okay. So you know there's a lot that goes into it, and I I go once a week, and I kind of map out the week. Yeah. Of food, because you know I'm I like. Are food. you a coupon guy? No, and I haven't seen a coupon in years until. I mean, you're saying coupon? Coupon. I'm saying coupon. No, it's coupon. I learned coupon well, when it's I was coupon. a kid. Coupon. Okay. It, it's coup, C O U, coup, coupon. Yeah. Coupon. Yeah. If it coupon. was coupon, it would be with a Q. It's coupon. coupon. All right. All right. I'm going to keep calling it coupon. So I'm in line, you know, the lines. And you got a lot of people use these self checkout things. Don't do no, it. No, no, no. No, they don't they no. don't reduce the cost, do they? No, and it's very frustrating cuz and I I buy so much stuff, you can you're supposed to pile it all up there first. Right. So they can tell how much is there, and then you start scanning it and throwing it in right. the bags, and uh-huh. the bags get full, and then you got stuff on the floor, and you got, yeah. And then you then don't you know buy a six it. pack right. of beer, and all of a sudden they want to see your ID. I'm I'm a hundred years old. Yeah. So I don't. God like forbid the, you have a coupon. I don't like the self. Well, exactly. Uh-huh. So I'm in line, and uh, you know we're matriculating through the line there. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And <clears throat> they they tell me the little Ding! voice says number twelve. Uh, you go to aisle eleven. It was yeah. And uh, so there I am in aisle 11, and there's a very nice lady in front of me uh, who's got a ton of groceries. Right. Big family. Big. Uh, She's got a ton of groceries, and she's got a manila folder. Hey, now. And the checker checker says, do you have any coupons? Yeah. The lady had six trillion coupons. I didn't know the coupons still exist. She's pulling coupons out for the next, I don't know how many minutes, Michael. Where, where do you get one? coupons? They where, looked, where do you it looked like, a, well, she had all kinds. She had the little clippy kinds that you, uh-huh. you know, cut out of the what you call them. Yeah. Whatever the what you call them is. Where is the what you call them? Well, I don't know anymore. where the what you call them, but They're she found it. not in the paper anymore. She found the what you call them because she had the little, and then she had a bunch of uh, things she had printed out on her computer. Huh. Handing them over and getting barcode scanned. So, after scanning what must have been a hundred and 30 items. Oh, my word. Now the checker is scanning Beep. and dropping Beep. the coupon. You, you drop Beep. the coupon. Now you got to bend over and pick uh-huh. up the coupon. And I'm standing there. Uh-oh, and I'm this thinking, one's not going to scan. A my, my cauliflower is going to be bad by the time I get home. Uh-huh. I, I've never seen. I, I, it's been my, my my dear mother, my dear late mother. Right. She was a coupon clipper. Well, well I, we used to do it when we were kids. Yeah. When, but that was back when they put the stuff in the mail to you and, and yeah. in the newspaper. Well, the, 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 they still come in the mail. The coupon. They do. Yeah. The value. I, they ain't coming to me. Well, they, I don't. I don't use them. But but this lady, <laughs> and I think she. I think she saved about six hundred dollars. I mean, really? I don't, I don't know what she. But I hey, mean, it was incredible. I would assume you were at Schnucks. I was. Yeah, me too. Uh, you have the rewards points? I do. Yeah. Now, or what are you a guy who like you get five dollars more rewards? You use it or no. you build them up? Oh, you build it up. Yeah, I'm sitting on about sixty five bucks right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do with it? Well, you let it you let it get to that critical mass. Yeah. And then when you're looking when you're at the meat because this is this is how it works for me. Okay. Okay. You stroll over to the meat counter. Right. And you look and there's a sirloin steak and it's I don't know, twelve dollars a pound. Uh huh. Uh, and then you got the porterhouse, which is like oh. nineteen dollars a pound, right? And then there's the fillet. I know twenty nine ninety five a pound. Uh huh. 
So if I built up enough bonus points, I'm getting the fillet. You're having fillet that yeah, night. I'm having fillet. If I've got five dollars there, then I, I'm going to probably get a couple hamburgers or let it accumulate. That you just see. Build it I'm up on a mission to get mine up yourself. over a hundred. I only buy for myself, so I don't buy that much. Mm. So I've gotten a sixty-five bucks. I'm trying to get to a hundred dollars, and then I was thinking, when was the last time I went to the grocery store and it cost me a hundred bucks? I don't. I Every don't single get... time. That's the. That's answer because to that. you're feeding a bunch of faces. And I'm only feeding myself. Well, I'm feeding me and my wife and my father-in-law, well, and occasionally uh, my daughter when I she comes home from work to pick up the yeah, baby. And, and, as opposed yeah. to me, who's just okay. I'm going to get some bubble water. All right, he's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. Very hey, excited. Well, well, what's what's going to happen I'm when we come very back? Talk excited. to us. Talk to us. Tell All me. right. So back in the day, this was before I was born. Okay. There <laughs> were musicians named Mozart. Hey. Joseph Haydn. Ooh. Uh, tremendously gifted composers. Beethoven. Who've, who've, one of those Beethoven. Okay. Who've left a body of work that's incredible, and we've all heard it performed on pianos. Uh huh. Their son, sonatas and so forth. But in its day, in its day, when it was being written and performed by Mozart and Haydn. Mm-hmm. It was performed on a forte piano, which is a different instrument. Well, you don't see forte pianos anymore unless you go to the Diminil Mansion this weekend, and our next guest, who is from Austria, will be performing on a forte piano. He joins us next on KMOX. Oh, can't wait. Trusted information, live and local, from the award-winning KMOX Newsroom. Hey, the Hancock and Kelly show going to take you all the way up to 10 o'clock, but we've got to talk some pianos. Yeah, we do. I am so excited to have this guest in studio. He's in studio because he's in town. He's in town because he's going to be concertizing at the Diminell Mansion. You can get that information on these tickets, and you'll want to get them after you hear this interview. Uh, at the, uh, let's see here, it is the Diminell.org slash events dash tickets for information for the concert with Daniel Adam Maltz. He's a forte pianist. He's in studio. And Daniel, what is a forte piano? Uh, a forte piano, a lot of people think that um, pianos were always as we know them today. So mm-hmm. I specialize in playing the forte piano, which is the piano as Mozart and Beethoven knew it. And the piano as Mozart and Beethoven knew it uh, is profoundly different from the piano as we consider today. And we can tell how profoundly different because we're going to hear a selection right now of Mozart's Sonata in F major performed by Daniel Adam Maltz. Man, those trills. That's impressive <laughs> stuff, Daniel. Uh, so immediately I noticed there's no sustain pedal uh, on the forte piano. 
Uh, there is. They don't have pedals as on the on the modern piano, right. but I do have knee levers actually oh, underneath the keyboard. So one of the I have two knee levers, which is pretty standard for the pianos of the 18th century, and one of them does lift dampers. However, uh, you have a keen ear because uh, they did not at all use pedaling as we use it today. It was generally used just as a special effect, so they're used very sparingly. Um, but when you use them, you'll notice that it's yeah. it changes the sound entirely. How would you describe the difference in the sound of the forte piano versus what we would hear today on a Steinway or something like that? Yeah, I mean, there are many musical and technical differences, but to me, the most important quality of the sound is a much more intimate sound. It's, it's a, a thinner, a little bit more direct mm. and percussive. Um, the textures are more transparent, so it's it's sort of a, a, a clearer a way of communication. Strings and hammers have to be fundamentally different. Uh, yes. I mean, the entire instrument is a much smaller, lightweight affair. I mean, it's made almost entirely of wood. There's no heavy cast iron frame inside. Right. The hammers are very small and delicate with just a thin layer of leather on it. The strings are, are very thin compared to modern pianos. So, Are they individual strings per note, or do some of the notes have multiple strings on them? That's a good question. So it's it's two strings per note all mm -hmm. the way for about, uh, I would say, two-thirds of the instrument, and the top third has three strings per note. Yeah, okay. So, And a lot of that evolved into the pianos that we know Today, what would Mozart think of hearing his piece performed on a Bosendorfer, for example? Uh, it's impossible to say. I mean, I think that he would find some lovely qualities in the pianos today. I mean, pianos today have lovely qualities. They just have different qualities. And so um, I suspect he would say, uh, this is a, a crazy, great-sounding instrument. I would like to write different music for it. Yeah, because you, you talk about the intimacy of the forte piano and uh, the the crowds, you know, in those days, you couldn't put a microphone on it. Right. And so I would imagine the, the people would be spellbound listening to the music. You could hear pin drop other than the music being performed. That's a different kind of experience. It is. It's really special. And that's why it's lovely when I get the opportunity to play in historic places like the Domenil Mansion because the audience members get to experience that same uh, type of musical communication that it was intended for smaller spaces. The Diminell Mansion concerts are going to be uh, Saturday tomorrow at 3.30 p.m. and Sunday at 3.30 p.m. It's about an hour and a half concert. Uh, tickets are available at the web website diminell.org slash events dash tickets. Uh, Daniel Adam Maltz, I would imagine that the audience will be fairly uh, intimate. Uh, yes, it is. I think they're they're capping at like 50 people, which is oh, wow. a really lovely experience for everyone there. I mean, to get to communicate in that way, to get to interact with the audiences and, and talk with them and, and answer questions even. Yeah, it's, it's a really special experience. Shall we hear some Haydn? Uh, Sonata in F major.
Buddy, you are precise. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, you know, there's, there's not a missed note. There's not a bl- blurred note. Uh, that's that's pretty incredible. You're, you're quite gifted. Well, thank you. I mean, I can't take complete credit as these are, you know, the world of recording. We can do amazing things with editing. But but yes, I mean, the instruments do require a, a degree of precision and accuracy from the performance. So in the got. 18th century, were these things in any sense mass produced or were they all sort of individually handcrafted? Uh, yes. Yeah, so they were all built by hand, by workshops. I mean, there were far more piano builders in Vienna in the 18th century than there are now even. Um, but yeah, not nearly the range of production that, you know, a, a manufacturer like Steinway could put out. So a composer like Mozart, who was, had achieved great acclaim, um, were, was he able to afford a better instrument or were they all pretty much the same? Um, yes. Someone like Mozart would have had a top of the line instrument from the best builder. Him. Most famously, he had a, a, an instrument by a builder called Anton Walter, who was very celebrated, which is the type, which is the uh, instrument that my instrument oh, is, that's is based cool. off of. So it's actually an Anton Walter for it. And the soundboard well. is? Uh, it's it's much thinner, but it's made out of spruce. Okay. Um, it comes from the Bohemian forest. The builder sources the wood from the same forest that the uh, 18th century builders did. Did they age them then, or did they just cut them and put them in the forte pianos? Uh, I'm not sure of all the technical details, but I know there is a sort of process of yeah. curing the wood and making sure that it's it's suitable, yeah. So what's the experience going to be like for or somebody that gets online and buys a ticket? They're going to come in and going to have a cocktail, perhaps, or... Uh, what, what's the experience like at a Maltz concert? <laughs> well, in this particular case, like I said, because we get the opportunity to play in, in a historic space like this, it's going to be more intimate than sort of your traditional concert hall, which is, of course, I do a lot of that as well. Um, so, you know, the audience will get the opportunity to be up close and personal with the instrument, to be able to hear this. Well, it's going to be quite an experience. Again, it's tomorrow at 3.30 and Sunday at 3.30 at the Demonell Mansion, org slash events dash tickets if you're interested in going. Daniel Adam Maltz, it's been an honor and a privilege to spend this uh, these minutes with you today. Thank you so much. Folks, uh, that's going to take care of it for this show. I want to thank Frank Ladd, our great producer, James O'Sullivan. On the board over there, it's Chris and Amy next. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX.